And they came to the wadi Eshkol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Wadi Eshkol because of the cluster that the Israelites cut down from there. At the end of the 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the Israelites in the wilderness of Paran and at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Yet the people who live in the land are strong, and the towns are fortified and very, uh, very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up to him said, We are not able to go up against this people, for they are stronger than we. So they brought to the Israelites an unfavorable report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land that we have gone through as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of a great size. There we saw the Nephilim, the Ankenites come from the Nephilim, and to ourselves we seemed like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night, and all the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little children will become booty. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us choose a captain and go back to Egypt. This is the word of God for the people of God. So let's review. I mean, the Israelites have been following this cloud around in the desert, in the, in the, heading towards Moab. So literally, this cloud in which God lives has been with them for months and months. And so they have been following this cloud. God has provided for them water, food in the form of manna, which comes every day. And then he's also, they were complaining because they weren't getting any meat. So he's provided quail that will go and literally walk into the camp so you can seize them up and eat them. I mean, these are the people that were freed from Egypt. So they have seen the Red Sea parted and walked across land. And yet, they are afraid. God has taken care of them, and they become so frightened that they refuse to do what God has called them to do. God has told them, go into the land of Cana, I am with you, and take it. It is yours. The spies that they had sent spent 40 days sussing it out, 
And they came back from their trip. And the way I read their initial report was, this is a beautiful place. It's flowing with milk and honey. But it's going to be tough because there's a lot of people. So somehow we spiral out of control into, we're grasshoppers before them. And then we get to this place where let's just go back to Egypt. Do I need to remind you? They were slaves in Egypt. Somehow, fear has gotten a hold of the Israelites to the point where they are saying no to what God it is, what God is calling them to do. And look, I give Caleb credit. He's the one that goes, hey, we can do this. God is with us. Let's go up. We're ready to do this. Let's do it now. And some of them look at him and goes, no. They're bigger than us. There's more of them. They're stronger than us. But the others say, we're frightened. We're scared. Do you see what happened? It goes from this is going to be tough, and they let their fears spiral out of control to the point where they would rather be slaves than do what God has asked them to do. Can you believe that? They would rather go back to Egypt and become slaves again because of the fear. I mean, God has done so much for them, and yet their fear overrides what God has done. Do you know anyone like that? Do you know anyone that lets fear keep them from doing what God is calling them to do? It happens. I was 36 years old, and I was first called to the ministry, and I, I was understanding first that God was calling me to do something. I had no idea what that might be. I mean, I was a commercial lender, so my obvious thought was, okay, he's calling me to go run a nonprofit or something. That makes some sense, right? But, but as I discerned and prayed and spent time talking with my pastors, I began to understand that God was calling me to the professional ministry. Now, I don't recommend this, but I laughed at God. I was like, God... You're calling me to the ministry? I mean, I know you know who I am and all that I've done and all of that kind of stuff, but things must be really rotten for you if you have to call somebody like me to the ministry. And so when I got done laughing at God, I was afraid. I mean, I liked my job. I lived in Houston, Texas, and I could get from my home to my work in seven minutes and literally not go through a stoplight. I mean, I was like four minutes from where I coached Little League. It was awesome. 
a good job. I liked it. My family was in a great place. And God was calling us to go do something different, and we were frightened. My wife was frightened. We were like, well, one of our goals was to be able to pay for our children's college so that they could go through college and not have student loans. I mean, how are we going to do that on a minister's salary? I mean, how are we going to save for retirement? What we were really afraid of at the end of the day was the unknown. You see, I let the what-ifs get in the way of what it was that God was calling me to do. But what if, and we can allow that to cloud our vision. We can allow that to make us forget all that God has done for us. So I'm standing here before you today, so clearly I got over my fear. Because God reminded me, I am with you. Look at all I have already done for you. So, so for me, what the question became is, do I trust God or not? In the end, it was a really simple question. Mike, do you trust me or not? So I was able to overcome that fear of the unknown and go off on this incredibly wonderful, awful, awesome, incredible, amazing, scary journey. And I think God knew what he was doing because I've loved every minute of it, even the awful moments I've learned from. So we as individuals can allow fear to keep us from doing and becoming what God is going, calling us to be or do. But this is a disease that's not just unique to individuals. As we saw in our reading, it can affect whole congregations of people. It can affect churches. When I first started this journey, I was at a student local pastor at Lover's Lane United Methodist Church. I have one of seven clergy on staff there. They had an older guy who had been around, and he was sort of serving as the, uh, the advisor to the new senior pastor that was there. And he sat me down, and he said, Mike, there's one thing you need to know. Every church in the world has a back-to-Egypt committee. And I thought about that. That's interesting. Okay. And so, fast forward, the last five years, I've been serving uh, the conference, working with churches around our annual conference. I've worked with over 75 churches, and I'm here to tell you the man was right. Every church has a back to Egypt committee. The, the people that are on the back to Egypt committee say things like, well, we've always done it that way. Or, or they say things like, Pastor, you can change anything you want, but you better not change my thing. Or 
they may say, well, what if it doesn't work? Every church has a back to Egypt committee. I'm here to tell you, COVID-19 has not only changed the world, it's changed church forever. Now, I have looked high and low. I've checked all my bookshelves. I've checked the internet, and I have yet to find a post-pandemic roadmap for churches. If I find one, you'll be the first to know. So it means that that we as a church, we're going to have to try some different things. I mean, and really, we are yet to get back close enough to normal to know what new normal is going to look like. And so I don't know all the ways that church has been changed by this pandemic. But one thing I can tell you is churches that go back to doing just what they used to do before this will struggle. And I can tell you for sure the one thing that has changed is the concept of online worship. We have to ensure that our online worship is as excellent and as engaging as what we are doing right here live and in person. And if we fail to do that, folks, we miss the boat. We miss some of what God is calling us to do and to be. I haven't got it all figured out what the new world's going to look like. And the truth of it is, we're going to have to try some things. And some of them may not work. Some of them may be an absolute train wreck. But you know what I and your staff are going to do, and your leaders? We're going to learn from it. I mean, I can't tell you, in my lifetime I've looked, oh, that was an absolute train wreck. Let's not do that again. So, so when we try something new and different and it doesn't work, we'll learn from it and we'll try again. As our church moves forward and we begin to discover what our new normal is, please don't let fear. Please don't let fear take over the actions of our church. I mean, God has gone before us. God is with us. You're celebrating your 35th year in existence. Look at all God has done for you. Never, ever forget what God has done for this church and for this community. As we move forward, let us make sure that fear does not keep us from becoming what it is God is calling us to be as a church. I ask that God forbid that from happening to us. So be of good courage, my brothers and sisters, for God is with you, God fights for you, God is with you, and God has already done amazing things for you and has more amazing things in store. We have not seen our best days yet. God has a plan for us, and God will make it happen. Let us pray.
Gracious God, let fear not trouble our hearts. For we know you are with us, you know you have gone before us, and you know that you have a plan. Help us to enthusiastically embrace your plan for us, whatever that is. We ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen.